Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. I'm broadcasting today from the TV studios of This Week in Agribusiness, where I'll be co-hosting this weekend with my good friend Max Armstrong. Coming up on our program here today, we're going to talk with Rod Weinzerl, the executive director of the Illinois Corn Growers Association and vice president of Waterways uh, Council. Uh, the Waterways Group is meeting in Chicago this week and uh, talking about infrastructure issues. We will get an update coming up on today's program. We're also going to talk markets with Jim McCormick with Allendale, and we'll look at the, the Farm Bill debate. Allison Rivera with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will join us, and we'll get the latest on the hours of service reform that um, agriculture is looking at very closely as well. Speaking of the Farm Bill, well, there are some reports that they're getting close, other reports that uh, still got a ways to go. There's been some public uh, feuding uh, between Chairman Conaway and the other three of the big four, some back and forth there in public. So uh, we will wait to see, but uh, hopefully there's going to be some news coming out on the Farm Bill here soon. Meanwhile, there is some news coming out on some more legal action when it comes to the biofuels industry. Joining us now is Todd Neely with DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. So what's going on now uh, with the uh, with the legal action that's going on? Is this a new lawsuit or, or one that's already been filed? We're just getting hearing about again now. Well, thanks, Mike, for having me. Um, you know, this is a lawsuit that we just found about found out about this week. Um, a group of biofuel industry representatives, uh, from what we can tell, it's primarily biodiesel uh, companies and, and others, uh, filed suit back at the end of July um, attempting to get EPA to stop granting uh, the, the small refinery waivers to the RFS. Um, what we saw earlier this week on Tuesday was some court filings by the same group. It calls itself uh, producers of Renewables United for Integrity, Truth, and Transparency. So the, mm. the acronym is on that is Pruitt, if you can put that together. Um, mm. And and the one thing that they're asking for now in the Court of Appeals in D.C. is to stop EPA from granting any further waivers until uh, potentially the agency can look at the, a change in the program or, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And so... The reason the reason this is interesting is because here at the end of the month we have the final RFS numbers for the for the upcoming year. They're going to be finalized, um, and we're starting to see some more action in terms of uh, requests for waivers and those sorts of things. Um, we'll be having a story today on this, talking a little bit more about that situation. Uh, but really, what this is now, we're getting close to that RFS RVO uh, renewable volume obligation deadline on the 30th. And so now things are starting to pick up, not only in court, but in uh, potential waiver requests that the agency is receiving. Yeah, a lot of those refineries probably want to get their requests in just in case uh, if, if they do stop granting them or slow down on them, they want to get in before the door shuts. Absolutely. And, you know, what we've seen, there's been an argument made by this group that uh, EPA didn't really have the authority to go back retroactively and grant the waivers as they did in um 2016 and 17. Uh, so that's part of the legal argument as well. And a lot of these waivers come in after the RFS uh, RVO deadlines. Um, and so it basically doesn't allow EPA to account for, you know, potential waiver gallons. And so um, 
EPA really has the authority at some, you know, somewhere at some point to change the program in some way. And so I guess that's kind of what people are waiting on. Yeah, we'll see if the door closes or stays open a little bit or a lot. Now, uh, Senator Grassley recently made comments. He thinks there'll be fewer waivers granted by uh, Andrew Wheeler than what we saw under uh, Scott Pruitt. Now, I don't know what he's based that on, just a feeling or his talks uh, with maybe Andrew Wheeler, but uh, uh, that's the sense he gets. Yeah, and, you know, the senator had said something about that a couple of weeks ago that – based on conversations he's had with Wheeler, uh, you know, he understands what the biofuels industry is saying about the complications in the market and all these things that, that, uh, you know, the conflict that that these waivers create. Um, Now, still, you know, the the petroleum industry will make the argument that uh, EPA and Wheeler are bound by uh, court precedents to to grant waivers. Um, But I think at some point this this very issue is probably going to have to be solved by a court um, one way or the other, because I, I think it depends a lot on um, who's heading EPA and, and you know their view of, of the legality of it. And so I, I think this is going to be an interesting conflict that's going to start playing out here in the coming year, whether uh, Wheeler decides to back off of those waivers and, and what might happen uh, if he does that. All this going on during some challenging times for the ethanol industry. Absolutely. Yeah, we've seen, uh, you know, we, tr- we track profits, and uh, as far as we've seen the, for the past several months, uh, net margins have continued to drop. I mean, we've heard stories of production cutbacks, uh, even potential shutdowns of ethanol plants. Um, and, and really, traditionally, this time of year is kind of tough, but it's been exacerbated by, by you know, lower ethanol prices. Uh, you know, and also, we talk about this RINs issue. The RINs are at all-time on near all-time low prices, and so uh, it really is a tough time, and I think a lot of companies are trying to find ways to, to ride it out. But meanwhile, the oil industry continues to claim they are being harmed by the RFS. Yeah, and you're going to see, like I said, you're going to see more of this uh, in waiver requests. Um, you know, I, I think as it plays out, though, um, you know, I, I think at some point the requests are probably going to have to be dealt with in a court um you know it's it's just not going to continue to play out this way because like i said it's it's kind of up to the current administration and the epa um you know what's going to happen in terms of waivers but yeah we're going to continue to see uh petroleum interests trying to kind of take advantage of what appears to be some sort of a loophole going on it's it's still hard to figure this out what epa may do because we really don't know what criteria they use do we in granting these waivers Right. You know, it's kind of vague, Mike. You know, a lot of it, uh, it, it boils down to economic harm, and it's really kind of a vague term that the EPA looks at. Um, you know, a lot of the cases that the industry, ethanol industry, has made is that if you're granting waivers to small refiners, uh, they really do need to have some sort of economic harm that they can prove. I mean, we've seen companies that have billions of dollars in profits, uh, you know, owning some of these small refineries and requesting and receiving waivers. And so, just on its face, I, I think there's something wrong with that particular aspect of the program. And meanwhile, as you say, we wait till the end of this month and see what uh, the uh, RVO numbers are going to that EPA will uh, release and how much stock we put in them based on what's going on with the waivers. Absolutely, you know, it's kind of one of those numbers that, you know, we heard over two billions, two billion gallons were waived in 16 and 17. 
um, and it's been really hard to pinpoint. It's it's been hard to find out where those gallons went. Um, you know, on both sides of this issue, I mean, we've had study after study, each each of them conflicting each other about what's really been lost here, and so. Um, I think this really is more of a long-term effect if this continues. As you said, a lot of this will be played out now in court. Todd, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. All right, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Todd Neely with DTN. Coming up next, we'll talk infrastructure, what's going on. A word has been passed, the Water Resources Development Act, but what's actually getting done out on the ground on our rivers and the locks and dams. We're going to talk with Rod Weinzerl, Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers and Vice President of the Waterways Council. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Our grain systems experts stay focused on what's ahead by providing state-of-the-art grain systems that protect grain quality in the bin, along with larger capacity bins that keep us moving forward. We're always looking for ways to optimize operations and ensure our customers are ready for what's next. So visit FSSystem.com and let's get you headed towards your next success. FS, bringing you what's next. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff, even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by 
Dr. Martin Ginniger that lift stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We talk infrastructure now with Rod Weinzero, Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers and Vice President of the Waterways Council. They're meeting uh, in Chicago this week. Rod, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's the latest uh, on infrastructure actually getting improvements done? We know we have the Water Resources Development Act passed. Uh, is that opening things up? Well, I think, Mike, what, what you're, what's really going to open it up is the president's interest and discussion about trying to move an infrastructure package uh, that's been on his to-do list since being elected uh, here two years ago. And he tried to move a bill uh, or an effort here back in 2016, um, but was just too soon to do. And it looks like, you know, there'll be some momentum coming up here in this coming year. And, and the House Democrats are very interested also in the same thing. So I think we'll see the the two come together and, and at least have a really good discussion about doing some infrastructure. Yeah, that does seem, in, in comments we've heard from both sides recently, that maybe that is some common ground, which I know I thought they would have found that earlier, but um, perhaps better late than never. But at least both sides are mentioning uh, infrastructure improvements as an area they could come together on. Yeah, I I really do think that there will be a really good uh, discussion. I, I I also think, though, that you know there's going to be uh, quite a bit of disagreement over the next over the next two years, and and we'll just see if uh, we can get the infrastructure package uh, to get both sides to kind of figure out how they're going to do it uh, and move forward. Um, biggest challenge is going to be uh, the pay fors. Uh, how how do we actually pay for this infrastructure that we need? And I think most people in the country, regardless of what mode of transportation you're interested in or even uh, the infrastructure that cities really need to do and and update, uh, this would be potentially a really big package. So the pay-fors will become a big deal in trying to sort that out. As we have learned the hard way over the years, you can pass legislation, have authorization like WERDA, but the key is in the appropriations, right? That's where the money's at. That's where the money's at, and, you know, at least at one time, the president was talking uh, a trillion-dollar package. Uh, that is a big number by anyone's standards, and, and but he was also wanting uh, a majority of that to be uh, private investment. And so just how all that gets sorted out uh, will be real important. Um, I know that when he first rolled that out, Many of the rural uh, members of Congress had concerns about how you could structure a pay-for and be able to actually get the infrastructure implemented just because, you know, pay-fors are based on volume of use 
and in rural areas, uh, you know, there's just not near as many people, so it's much more difficult uh, to try and sort those questions out. We're talking with Rod Weinzero, Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers, Vice President of Waterways Council, Inc. Uh, Rod, there are some improvements going on, right? I mean, the, some things are happening out there. Yeah, uh, probably here in the last two years, uh, the work on the inland waterway system has really begun to accelerate. Um, I think uh, most people know that the Olmstead Lock uh, located uh, between Illinois and Kentucky right before the Ohio River flows into the Mississippi River has has been put on an accelerated schedule. And, in fact, they had their ribbon-cutting uh, uh, program back in August. And so that lock is up and running. That's That's been a, a big issue for probably the last decade, getting that done. And in a piece of legislation this year, uh, Senators Thune and Durbin worked together and have put the Chickamauga Lock in Tennessee now on an accelerated schedule of, of getting completion. And, and so as those projects get done, um, you're going to see new projects come in. Uh, as an, and as an example, the LaGrange Lock in Maridocia, Illinois, uh, has begun or will begin here in the next few months a major rehab that's been kind of on the books for the last decade. So things are happening, and hopefully we'll keep progress moving forward. It it takes time. Rod, we've been talking about these issues and these needs for years now, and and then even once you get it started, obviously it takes time to uh, to complete one of these projects. So, I mean, that's why it's so important to get more of these uh, started. That's right. I mean, these projects are really big projects, and, and they do take actually several years just to engineer the project. And once that's done, just, you know, trying to get it in the queue to get funding uh, has been a challenge. And that's, that's why Waterways Council has, was formed, and, and there is many, it's much a very diversified membership. Uh, labor is here, of course, the barge companies, uh, the shippers. Um, agriculture, um, just a lot of interest in the waterways, trying to move, trying to move uh, the system forward and, and modernizing it here over the next decade or so. Yeah, as you point out, there are a lot of stakeholders, and there's also competition for the funds because we know roads and bridges need attention too. Yeah, uh, so in the waterway system, it, it somewhat operates like the highway system where there's an inland waterways users board that oversees the barge fuel tax that is paid into um, the users board. So it's, it's much like the highway program where, where as you fill up your car, uh, there is a federal highway tax that goes into a fund that helps uh, put in and build new infrastructure or repair. Uh, very much the same on the inland waterway system with barges, barge companies paying in on a diesel fuel tax into the system. Right, it's a system that we know has many challenges because of outdated locks and dams. Um, and if there's a problem in one spot, it can really back up the, the whole system. What kind of year has it been here in 2018 on the rivers? Uh, challenging. So earlier in the year, the Ohio River, because of problems at lot 52 and 53, and these are the two locks that the Olmstead lock 
was built to replace. Uh, before the Olmstead lot could open, there were a lot of uh, problems, mechanical problems on, on 52 and 53, which, which created backups. Uh, there were times when barges were backed up more than 90 miles. Um, so pretty, pretty big problems. Uh, if you, if you uh, raise corn or beans uh, on the on the Ohio River, whether it's in Illinois, Kentucky, Indiana, or Ohio, uh, you would have seen tremendous basis fluctuation um, because of that. Uh, more recently, with uh, uh, torrential rains, I'll say that we've had in uh, upper Upper Iowa, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota. Uh, there's been a lot of closures as floodwaters have come down the Mississippi. So, you know, Mother Nature does does challenge us on keeping the system going. And 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 just like on the Ohio, sometimes it's mechanical mechanical issues, or sometimes it's Mother Nature. Tell us a little bit about your meeting uh, going on in Chicago, the Waterways Council. I know you're updating these issues. Uh, uh, anything else on your agenda? Any action that uh, you'll be taking or uh, priorities uh, for the coming year? Well, right now the meeting is more about just trying to bring uh, all the members up to speed. We had the annual meeting and the board meeting yesterday where we went over um, the elections, and the elections uh, have, whenever there's elections, there are people that retire or get beat in elections, and you have new people. So that, that affects the committee chairmanships of the respective committees that uh, the Waterways Council is interested in in both the House and Senate. So went through that um, and then today the symposium started and we have rd james who is the assistant secretary of the army uh, will be speaking here uh, later this morning and then deputy secretary uh, steve sensky is the keynote uh, speaker here at lunch and it's going to be good to, ha- to hear what those two gentlemen are, are saying and kind of get their perspective on on how they see uh, the infrastructure package moving forward well, Steve Sinsky's background with soybeans, he's acutely aware of these issues. He's, he's dealt with them for a number of years. Yes, yeah. Soybeans and corn have pretty good-sized presence here at the symposium, and obviously uh, everybody knows how trade has been so important here over the last year, and, and infrastructure plays a big part of that. And it will be, in, it will be good to, to see Steve again. A uh, number of the soybean folks know him quite well and, and looking forward to that. Rod Weinzero, Executive Director of the Illinois Corn Growers Association, Vice President of Waterways Council, Inc. Rod, thanks for the update. Appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you at your Illinois Corn Growers Annual Meeting next week. Thank you very much, Mike, and look forward to seeing you as well. Take care. Rod Weinzero joining us from that Waterways Council meeting going on in Chicago. Up next, we're going to talk markets a lot of focus on the upcoming talks with china a lot of other things going on though too to impact the markets we're going to talk with jim mccormick with allendale next on aoa adams on agriculture stay with us a powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. 
tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. It's time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Firm footing in wheat and corn on this Thursday. Soybeans an hour into the day, 9 to 10 cents higher. The soybean bulls, according to the wire talk, retain a minor short-term technical edge. The market is trading above key short-term moving averages. The January soybean contract in a holding pattern. We've got support at 864 resistance at $9 and three quarters of a cent, hovering near 893 an hour into the day. Corn, December up two and a half at 369 and a half. 20-day moving average for the March contract seen at 380 and a quarter. Currently, we're at 380 and a half. For the wheats, trending a fraction to one and a fraction higher in Minneapolis. Chicago wheat, penny and a fraction higher, fraction lower in Kansas City. Wire talk overnight quoting Chinese officials saying trade talks between Washington and China have indeed resumed with optimism about the G20 summit at the end of the month. Newswire is also suggesting that the Trump administration may instruct the Commerce Department to review the anti-dumping and countervailing duties currently in place on biodiesel imports from Argentina. Rumors are they may be looking at lifting those duties. Livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures were trending 15 to 30 cents higher as we await cash cattle business. Significant trade volume may not surface until Friday. In feeder cattle, we're steady to 30 cents higher. Lean hog futures trending 60 to a dollar two higher. Today's hog slaughter estimated at 478,000 head. That'd be steady with a week ago. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 188 points, S&P 500 down 18, crude oil up 64. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Well, Thanksgiving's next week. A lot of times around the holidays here at the end of the year, it's kind of a quiet time with markets. Not so much this year. A lot going on. Upcoming talks with China. 
and the market's really focused on that. Joining us now to talk about it is Jim McCormick with Allendale. Jim, thanks for being with us. And it just feels like there's so much pressure building to get something done with China. Um, Let's look at it both ways. If there's something, even if it's not a major agreement, if it's just kind of a a ceasefire, a slowdown of the the tensions and escalation that's been going on, if that just kind of slows down, what would the market reaction be? I think we would get a little bit of an upward move in in the market. I don't think it would be an explosive a ceasefire probably gives them the 25 50 cents in the beans i believe you know as the market just kind of released that it's not going to exasperate the problem to really get a big move we actually got to get a china backing off on the bean tariff you know that so i would say that's your best shot i mean the biggest problem we have mike right now is this has taken so long to come to this if we could have cut this deal in June, July, August, when we still had this ex- export market in front of us. The problem is we're cutting a deal on November 30th. Brazilians are going to start harvesting beans, or early, early beans, as late as as early as late December, they're saying now. So even if you do get a deal, we're going to have to compete directly with the Chinese or for the Chinese business with South America. So it will limit the movement. But this has been an overhang of the market now for what six nine months where it's just you you just waited for the next tweet the next this is going to get worse it's going to get better it's going to get worse i think just a relief rally will happen just to kind of get it off the board nafta is a classic example we kind of got the nafta deal done it really didn't change much in agriculture for the most part a little bit in the milk besides that but we did kind of just get a relief like hey it's not going to get worse and that allowed the market to bounce a little bit and i think that's the same situation we'll see across all the ag sector if the deal can get done. Now, what if a no deal gets done? In fact, what if uh, they come away from there saying, you know, uh, we're not any closer and we might even ramp up tariffs? What's the downside here? There is a lot of exposure, I think, to American agriculture if a deal is not done. So I, I think the pressure is on the Trump administration to get it done, at least on the ag side's viewpoint. The fact of the matter is we had a phenomenal crop this year. You're looking at a, one of the best crops we've ever produced, at a time when our d- demand has been hit because of the Chinese. So the, the, the end result right now is the government's projecting the carryout at 950 billion bushels. Just three years ago, it was like 300 million, to put it in perspective for the people out there. I mean, we've had this massive supply, um, and that may get bigger. China has stated their goal, Mike, is to cut imports by 10 million metric tons, which is roughly 350 million bushels. Now, the government has lowered our export target from China but they haven't lowered at 350 million bushels. There's some debate as can China actually do completely block U.S. beans. But, you know, even if it's say it's they manage to cut it by 8 million metric tons, it's a huge problem. Because when you put the beans where they're a billion bushel carryout, plain and simple, simple, economically, we ought to be closer to below 8, to be quite honest, on the board, on all things equal with this type of carryout. You mentioned Brazil. Not only is their crop going to be on the market sooner than usual, earlier than usual, but it looks to be like they're going to have a lot of it. Right now, the early estimates are about 120, 121 million metric ton crop. That would be an all-time high. Um, But the thing is, they're still planting down in South America. So this crop probably could get bigger. Unfortunately for the American producer, we're moving into El Nino winter by all accounts. And traditionally in El Nino winters, they tend to have big crops. So they've got this big crop on the way competing with our big crop. And, you know, they're itching to sell to the Chinese. They, they're making a killing right now because of the tariffs. The Chinese essentially, if the China wants to import our beans, they've got to pay about a 25% penalty to bring it in. So what the Brazilians are doing is they're selling the beans to China at about a 20 to 25% premium to the U.S., just enough to keep it competitive 
And so they're they're making a mint. So if you're the Brazilian producer out there, you could see where they're they're going fence row to fence row, plant as many beans as they can, and try to lock in as many contracts as they can with the Chinese because uh, they're definitely making money. We're talking with Jim McCormick with Allendale. This is something I've been talking about for some time, and you and I have been talking about this, and I I think we're we see this the same, that this has the feeling that it's like the the Russian grain embargo many, many years ago that we still feel the impact of. It shifted things. It changed things in the global marketplace. This situation with China looks to have the potential of having a long-term impact. It definitely does. And for people out there, what we mean about this impact for the Russian grain embargo, you know, that happened, what, you know, 30 years ago, we essentially told the Russians, you're no longer going to be able to buy our food. Our, our wheat, plain and simple. Now, it took a long time, but if you look what happened, our who's our biggest competition in the international market right now, Mike, to sell wheat to? It, you know, competition-wise, it's Russia, you know. And so those are the seeds that we plant now. We're reaping 30 years down the line. And the same situation right now is are you making them make like the Americans are no longer reliable sources of food? You know, so that's the fear we have right now in agriculture, I believe, is, you know, you're, you're just encouraging the Chinese to say, hey, look, you know, the U.S. isn't, you know, they're not there for us. We're going to build these relationships. And, you know, all of us have built business relationships with people. Once you build those relationships, they're hard to break. And uh, you're just pushing more business to them, I, I fear, in a long time, in a long term, and capital investment and all that. So um, this is something that could be really frustrating. Another thing, just to kind of think what happened, is China historically, when they were feeding their hogs, they were feeding about a 20% meal ration because meal was cheap. They were buying our meal, they are buying the Brazilian meal, and they were or beans turning the meal. Well, now, because of this high price and what's going on with this competition, the trade war, they're now telling their hog guys, hey, back that meal ration back down closer to maybe where the world's at, around a 12% meal ration into the hogs. Now, China has, you know, because, you know, what, something like 750, 800 million hogs compared to the U.S. 75, 100 million in the U.S. So when they back that ration down, it actually will have a huge impact on the overall demand for soybeans. So, uh, yeah, these are these are consequences that these trade wars started that I don't think anybody ever really thought would have happened down the line, you know, six months ago. Talking with Jim McCormick with Allendale. Now, a lot of people, there was a sigh of relief that they got through the new NAFTA, USMCA, and for agriculture, for the most part, it was it was do no harm. Now, we may have gained, hopefully, some in, in dairy, maybe a little in poultry, but I know fruits and vegetables are still concerned and some other areas. But I think what people forget is it's not a done deal. And a new Congress is going to vote on it. And already some members of the the House Democratic Party are saying, hey, we, we kind of looking at this, and we kind of already see some areas we think ought to be changed. That makes the uh, the whole issue of getting it passed even tougher next year. It is going to make it tougher next year. I mean, there was a big push to get it. It was interesting. They, you know, Mike, they put a big push to get this done so they could get it signed before the outgoing president of China left, or no, excuse Mexico. me, China, Mexico left. And that's what they're going to do this signing here next week at the G20 meeting as well as the this big meeting with China. But it's almost like they forgot about the fact that what if the Congress got switched over like it has? So now, you know, after two years where the Democrats were didn't have much power, they're trying to flex their power a little bit. And um, we'll see. A, a, you know, a lot of this, you know, trade thing deals had to do with uh, workers' rights and all that. So the Democrats feel like they want to get their voice in it. So, yeah, it's something we need to be concerned about because, um, 
if for some reason it doesn't get voted on and the Congress doesn't do it, President Trump could still come back and just pull us out of NAFTA again, from what I understand. He could pretty much give them 60-day notice, and we're back to square one, where we're back to where this whole thing blows up, and we got to do this all over again. And I don't know if anybody wants to deal with all over, especially if we're still battling the the, um, the Chinese in a trade de- dispute. So, there, you know. There's some trying times in agriculture. Uh, you know, there's some, you know, there's some light at the end of the tunnel, but uh, there could be some trapdoors as well. Meanwhile, there's also talks with the European Union. Although right now, President Trump and the President of France are kind of going back and forth. I've always felt that's the toughest lift, maybe of all of them, because of our history and baggage uh, over trade issues with the EU. That one's a big one. That one's going to be very hard, I, I think, to do. Uh, you know, Trump's trying to trying to really squeeze them a little bit. They they really ratcheted up. The EU minister came over and they kind of kind of like we we're hoping for China. We got a ceasefire, but really haven't ratcheted up. But uh, that's a hard nut to crack because you're looking at different countries with different protocol, with different GMO issues and different things, and it makes it very hard for us to get them to uh, you know all agree on one thing. So we've got farmers with a lot of grain in storage waiting for some kind of rally to sell into. Do you see that coming anytime soon? Well, I'm a little bit more optimistic. Well, right now we've had a decent rally in the beans. Recently, yeah. it, mm-hmm. it, it has rallied. And I am, you know, we might, over the next two weeks as we build to this, we might get an opportunity to sell into it. And I'm encouraging producers, if we do get a little bit of a relief rally, as the market kind of short covers specifically in the beans going into this meeting, you might look to sell some beans or at least consider buying puts just as a way to protect it in case the bottom falls out. I am a little bit more optimistic on the corn in the wheat aspect of it. The world stocks in the corn are relatively tight by stocks to use. Same thing for the wheat. I think those markets have the best opportunity potentially to rally. The wheat, we're not getting the winter wheat planted in parts of the country where it's just too wet. Some of it did get planted. It's been so bitter cold, it's not germinating. So I think that's a bullish story to come out down the line. Corn demand's been relatively good. It kind of faltered the last couple of weeks, but in general, the corn demand's been good. Our carryout's down around 1.7. You know, last year we got March corn up toward $394. I would expect that to kind of happen. It'll be a slow grind, but we will move higher. Um, the one thing I'll tell producers, though, a lot of us get hung up on price. What's the price of corn? Is it 375 385 You know, what they really need to look at is their revenue. Because what I've talked to my customers is like some of these guys, you start talking to actually how much bushels they produce a year. Some guys had a phenomenal year. So their revenue is a lot better when they actually just they do the numbers, say, look, I'm getting profitable. And if you are getting profitable, don't be afraid to lock in some of that profit this year as well as the 2019 especially because uh, well, there were some very trying times that could really cause us some you know, up, you know, rough nights, rough days if, if the trade negotiations go the wrong way. Yeah, so don't miss an opportunity that exactly. you may have. Jim, good to talk with you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you for having me. Jim McCormick with Allendale. Stay with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about the farm bill and some key issues there. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture.
What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Reason number 12 why you should own a thermospas hot tub they require no attachment to your home's plumbing thanks to the thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance call to receive a free dvd and brochure and find out how you can own a thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. It only takes a minute to find out if you may have prediabetes. And you can do it at DoIHavePrediabetes.org. But you're probably not going to, are you? Kids, work, listening to the radio. You're busy, which is great because busy people can't get prediabetes. Oh my, I read that wrong. <laughs> They can. Should have worn my glasses. So visit doihaveprediabetes.org and take a short test because prediabetes can be reversed. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. 
Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. We all want more time with our dads, brothers, partners, friends, and our sons. Time for more conversations, more catch-ups, more of what life's all about. Now is our time to make it happen. Together, we can stop men dying too young by tackling the big issues. Prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health, suicide. It's time to act. Sign up at Movember.com and raise funds to help change the face of men's health. information america's farmers and ranchers need to know adams on agriculture now back to mike adams well i mentioned this earlier but uh their squabbling is becoming more and more public over the farm bill between uh, the leaders on both sides primarily it's uh pat roberts debbie stabenow and colin peterson seemingly more and more in agreement and uh, in disagreement with the House Ag Committee Chair, Mike Conaway, and uh, that uh, squabble is getting a little more public all the time. Hopefully they can get those differences put aside and, and, and work things out, but uh, time is getting short. Let's talk about Farm Bill with Allison Rivera with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Allison, thanks for joining us. Uh, what are you picking up on uh, there in Washington uh, when it comes to the Farm Bill, what you're seeing and hearing? Well, I think you described it very well. Um, there are a lot of conversations that have been taking place uh, since Tuesday, and uh, it seems like there's a couple of issues that are still kind of being held up. Um, NCBA and, and our members would really like to see this bill done uh, during the lame duck so that we're not uh, continuing to have this conversation in January and that we have a farm bill in place. The most important thing is we want to make sure that the priorities that we have been working on for the last two years and since the beginning are in this bill and that the funding is there with those priorities. I think the question keeps coming back to how much is uh, Chairman Conaway willing to move? How much can he move within his own party uh, on some of these issues? Sure. I, I think it's important to, to note that uh, some of the comments that came out today were in regard to the fact that at the end of the day, he has to be focused on getting a good bill, but also getting a bill that can move out of out of the, the House as it currently is. And, and we know that the Republicans are still uh, in control through this lame duck on the House side. And so the, I think what you're hearing from the chairman is that he knows that there are certain things that need to be in this bill in order to get the votes that it needs to uh, to, to get to the president's desk, and that's what you're seeing from him right now. Yeah, I th- he's in a tough spot, really. You know, you know, he is because he he knows what those members are saying to him about what's what's important to them when they go home and they're talking to their constituents. And you know, there are a lot of important parts to this bill, but there there are parts like SNAP that are important to certain members, and they want to see certain reforms. And I think that's the struggle that the chairman is is having to deal with now, working for his constituents and and for his farmers and ranchers, but also making sure that he can get those votes to get across the finish line. Yeah, I mean, just put yourself in that position. Um, you may hear what your members are saying they insist on, 
But in your mind, you might be saying or even saying to them, yeah, but if we insist on that, we can't we can't get it passed. So that puts him between a rock and a hard spot. Right. And I think that uh, Chairman Roberts and Chairman Conaway are hearing different things from from their conferences and from the members that that they need votes from. And so, Mm -hmm. again, uh, trying to to get those those four principal members all on the same page with quite a few issues in this farm bill. You have a very different House version from the Senate version. Uh, NCBA has been very supportive of the House version, the conservation title, uh, the funding for the foot and mouth disease vaccine bank. So there's a lot of things that from the very beginning have had to be worked out in this conference committee, and it seems like those things are still being discussed. It's, it's not just the, the, the food stamp title, um, it's, it's other titles as well. And so there, there are a lot of things that, uh, that have to be worked out to get this bill done. So it's, it's quite a feat for sure. And in a short period of time now, and as you point out, the SNAP issues, that gets most of the attention, but there are a lot of other important issues that still need to be resolved as well. Absolutely. The the conservation title between the House and the Senate bills were very different. Uh, where the funding was placed was very different. Uh, we uh, NCBA's members have preferred the, the House version from the beginning. It bolsters uh, EQIP, which is a program that our, our producers really, uh, really like using. And uh, it, it essentially does some more consolidating of our working lands programs, which we did in the last farm bill and, and has worked out well. Um, and, it, and it bolsters the funding for EQIP, and, and that's important to our producers. And so we, we have focused on uh, supporting the House version. Uh, the, Senate, the Senate doesn't make a whole lot of changes in the conservation title, and so we're pleased with the changes uh, that were proposed in the House version. And so we have been supportive, along with other groups uh, here in D.C., of pushing the, the House version as we move forward. And so those, those are items that definitely had to be worked out uh, as just one of many issues that had to be worked out to get this bill across the finish line. Talking with Allison Rivera with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, bring us up to date on uh, the efforts for hours of service reform. Where's that at? Absolutely. So livestock callers are in a delay from the ELDs until December 7th, thanks to a continuing resolution that Congress uh, passed until December 7th. These members of Congress have to come back in this lame duck, which they're already here in town, uh, but they have to come back and get these last-minute appropriations bills passed before December 7th. If they do that, then livestock callers will have an ELD delay until September 30th of 2019. Now, what this does for us is it gives us more breathing room. It gives us more breathing room to focus on hours of service, which is our real issue here. We need flexibility in hours of service. In order to get that, uh, um, NCBA, as well as our friends at Farm Bureau and Livestock Marketing Association, have submitted a petition to the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration. This petition asks for 15 hours of drive time, 16 on duty, and a 10-hour rest. We currently sit at 11 hours of drive, 14 on duty, and 10, 10 of rest. So we are asking for more drive time. In return for that, we are willing to implement some voluntary fatigue management training because at the end of the day, FMCSA's main role in the U.S. government is to protect those on the roads. And they see fatigue, uh, fatigue issues as the biggest uh, cause of, of incidents on the highway. So we are willing to do a little more fatigue management training, and those who choose to do that training and and, and get some type of certificate, if you will, and put that in their truck, will be able to take advantage of that 15-hour of drive time if this petition is granted. So a lot of important issues here, and you just pointed out, I mean, we talk about the Farm Bill, but uh, uh, foremost on their minds probably is getting the funding part of it done, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fund- funding is key in this town. 
Yeah. So December 7th is the is the date we need to be watching on that. Absolutely. I mean, not only do we want most people, maybe not everybody, want to keep the government open and running and, and moving, but on top of that, we have some very important delay language that sits both in the House and Senate approach bills, which we are grateful that we have support on both sides of the aisle uh, from Republicans and Democrats. And, um, you know, this is a very bipartisan issue, trying to get our livestock to where they need to go safely. And so we see that with the support in those uh, uh, in, the, in those approach bills. Well, they have a lot to do in this uh, short period of time before the end of the year and that December 7th date looming very soon. Allison, thank you very much for the update. Yes, sir. Allison Rivera with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That'll do it for today. Hope you'll join us tomorrow here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.